Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here for the Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. Come to you each morning at about 9 a.m. Uh, today is Saturday, and as such, we are going to look at tomorrow's Old Testament and Epistle readings, as uh, we like to do. Those would be normally have be preached at the morning matins and vespers service, um, if we kept a full Sabbath, which uh, we haven't done for many generations, um, whereas the gospel would have been preached at the divine service. Um, I've often imagined how delightful that would be to uh, gather for prayer, to hear um, the epistle text preached, and then um, maybe take a break, break and uh, some fellowship, and then return for divine service uh, for the sake of the gospel, to hear the gospel, uh, maybe some Bible study, a meal, um, time for uh, activities and, and friendship, fellowship, and then return for Vespers before going home. Uh, you know, a full Sabbath. Um, not so much amongst Lutherans, but I know amongst some of the more conservative Reformed, uh, they still keep this tradition with the prayer offices and uh, service. They also preach longer, so uh, it tends to be a longer day anyway. All right. So uh, let's, let's get after it then. I'm going to zoom my camera out a little bit. All right. There we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, this week's memory verse, one more time. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 45. After last evening with the uh, play that the, the kids put on, uh, now I know that they are capable of memorizing large chunks of text, if uh, if need be. <laughs> and so all of their excuses for not memorizing uh, yeah, prove false now, actually. So, yeah, we can commit things to memory. Psalm 66, verses 1 through 8, it's our psalm for the day. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power. Let your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his voice or his praise be heard. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, Chris says in the chat, uh, uh, yay, I wish wish I could, as far as memorization, I believe. And uh, here's the key to memorization, is what we say here in the morning, say it again uh, throughout the day. Uh, make a habit of, of trying to do it by memory without looking um, at the screen or at the sheet, and do that throughout the week. That prayer guide is sent out in our weekly email. So you can always print off a copy if you're not uh, here on Sunday morning. And again, um, repetition is the mother of learning here. 
So be sure to uh, make that effort, right? Um, to repeat it throughout the day and to consider it that way. Um, so how do the kids learn the lines? By repeating them day after day after day, right? That's how you do it. All right. And then our catechism for the week is the table of duties to workers of all kinds. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. All right, we've talked about that throughout the week, that verse. Um, quite, quite straightforward, right? Is that your master has been given to you by God, and so you serve them as if you were serving the Lord and not man. Um, even if, the, if your master seems, that is, your employer seems unfair, unjust, um, worthless, <laughs> etc., um, because you, your master needs your labor, right? And, yeah. All right, so the Old Testament reading for tomorrow is going to be from Numbers 21, the familiar serpent on the pole passage. You saw that on the title frame here, right? So there's the pole and there's the serpent. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, both in relation to this day, that is, um, or tomorrow, I should say, the Sunday of Christian prayer, rogate, pray to the Lord, but also... Um, a little bit more about why a serpent. Hmm. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel. Died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. All right. So one of the famous accounts of the wilderness wandering from uh, Egypt to the Promised Land, um, and you remember that because of the people's rebellion of the bronze, of the uh, golden calf, which was an image that they set up um, outside of God's command and institution, that uh, they were forbidden then to enter the Promised Land. Only their children, what those born um, during their forty years of exile. All right. Um, now we are um, later on, and we're going about. And they're discouraged again, uh, despite having <laughs> having previously received water um, from, well, the bitter water made sweet, and then the water from the rock. Uh, now again, there's no water. They're becoming discouraged. Um, by the way, if you look at the Sinai Peninsula, um, you don't go, there is the way of the Philistines where you go up by the Mediterranean Sea, but they're going down all the way down to the bottom of the peninsula and back up. All right. And that's the way of the, of the Red Sea and then Edom, which is on the far, uh, west side of of the Sinai Peninsula. So you have to imagine your geography a little bit there. Um, it's it is the long way around, um, but they refuse to go the way of the Philistines because of uh, warfare. Right? They want to fight against them. Uh, and of course, Moses knew the route quite well because um, he had um, tended sheep for his father in law Jethro um, in Edom. Right. So 
So this is a, a common way for him. The way he had come to Egypt was the way they went back to Canaan. Right? Not the short way, but the long way. Um, so in that context, um, and they're also um, rebelling against the daily bread that the Lord is providing, the manna, all right? This worthless bread, they call it. It's uh, calling what God gives, uh, which is always good, calling it uh, evil or worthless is uh, blasphemy, of course. It's a rejection of the gift itself. And I've also often reminded people of this, is that the Lord sets before you gifts, of course, the, the word of forgiveness, uh, absolution, of course, baptism is a gift from God. The supper is a gift, right? Uh, that you be careful not, and actually preaching his word, just the reception of his word, third commandment, um, the Sabbath day is also a gift. That um, it's a dangerous game, really, to play with God, to reject the gifts that he gives. Um, and I think you can extend that out to even creaturely gifts, um, the gift of marriage, to reject the gift of marriage, or to reject uh, the gift of children, which he gives to married couples uh, when and where he wills, when he nets them together uh, in their mother's womb, right? Um, to reject those gifts is a dangerous game. Uh, and I would suggest it's not even worth playing, uh, especially because of the burden that it puts on the conscience, right? To try to refuse what God gives, but also, um, well, certainly God's response to it. And we see his response here, right? He sends the fiery serpents among the people. Um, now, why a serpent, do you think? I said you might mention this. Well, uh, of course, the first serpent was the deceiver. So what is he indicating here? That they've been deceived, right? Um, by by the, again by the word of the of the serpent the devil the deceiver right and it is poison to them right it's going to kill them and so um, it does it actually does kill some of them again receiving the gifts outside of faith is another way that you can receive um, or not rather than just denying the gifts but trying to receive them um, but not in faith not according to our Lord's word and institution not f- trusting in His word can also hurt and harm you uh, you think of the famous passage from First uh, Corinthians. Uh, 15, I believe it is, right? Where many had grown ill and had died because of receiving it um, outside of faith. Mm, 1 Corinthians 11, excuse me. Yeah, there it is. Um, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's talking to those who deny the supper. Um, They still eat it, though. In eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and the other is drunk, right? So then examine yourself. He gives the words of institution. Then he says, examine yourself. Whoever eats and drinks, or whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let each man examine himself, right, for faith. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's, or for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, um, or dead. <laughs> Is actually, you could say it that way too. All right, if we would judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. Right? So don't come to the supper just for food or to get drunk, um, because that's to receive it outside of faith. That's what he's talking about there. All right. So, um, yeah, so interesting, right? That uh, you can either deny the gift and bring judgment on yourself or receive the gift outside of faith and also um, then have judgment, at least in particular with the Lord's Supper. You have that instruction from Paul. All right. So the serpent that's sent among them is, again, a sign of, the, of their unbelief because they have listened to the lying voice uh, of the deceiver again, right? and that's why many died. But the people come to Moses, and remember, Moses is, as far as they're concerned, God to them, right? Just as Moses was God to Pharaoh, uh, Moses is God to them. If they want to hear from God, they go to Moses. If uh, God wants to speak to them, he speaks to them through Moses. 
right? He's the, the apostle, if you like, the ambassador or the, um, the stand-in, right? So if, um, if they're going to confess their sins, they're going to go to the one whom the Lord has sent them um, to proclaim forgiveness of sins, right? For you, that's the pastor. Here, it's Moses. So they come to him and they confess, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord, see, and against you. Um, so he's not Yahweh, but he is um, Yahweh's representative. And so to speak against Moses is to speak against God. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So that's why this text is for tomorrow. Again, the Sunday of Christian prayer, Rogate. So uh, we hear about prayer. And this is a specific kind of prayer, isn't it? This is intercessory prayer. This is Moses standing between God and the people and Moses making intercession, praying on, be- on their behalf that God remove the-, the judgment that he's brought against them for their rebellion. All right. Uh, this is, again, another conversation that sometimes we have to have about God changing his mind. Right? God loves to hear your confession, and, and he does change his mind, right? Rather than punish you, um, he may withhold some of that punishment, or rather than die immediately, um, like he did with Adam and Eve, um, he was merciful to them, right? He gave them clothing, he covered them, he clothed their sin, he forgave them. Um, yes, they still died, um, but they also received the resurrection. All right, so we have sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you. All right, so then um, Moses prayed for the people. Again, intercessory. Hold on, I'm going to get my door because there's people coming in. All right, there we go. Um, Then the Lord said to Moses, right, with response, make a fiery serpent. (coughs) So again, bronze is sometimes how that's described, or fiery. Uh, Fiery, I think, is referring to the poisonous. So this is like a cobra, maybe. Set it on a pole. Right, maybe not a column like you saw here in the title frame. Um, sometimes you see this pictured as being actually in the shape of a cross, which would uh, not be surprising, right? Set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Right. So Moses made the bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and again in the shape of the fiery ones, in the same shape of the ones that had been biting the people, so that they died. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived, right? So then Chris asks, so the serpent is the forgiveness of God. Um, I would put it this way. The serpent is uh, the means which God appointed at this time to bring forgiveness and uh, relief from the consequence of their unbelief, their rebellion against God's word, all right? Um, so it is interesting that, um, that, the, that the snake, you know, is this desert viper and... Uh, you know, a cobra maybe, but it could be bronze. It could be copper. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, bronze is an alloy of copper and tin. But uh, why Why a serpent? This is an ancient Near East um, thing, is that you, you picture, you know, the, the image of something to protect you from it, right? So you, you might apply this actually to the Christian in the way that you would wear a cross um, to protect you from the cross. That, that's how some people use it, right? Like vampires and all of that mythology that's attached to it. Um, but that's not the idea here. That's not the idea here. Uh, the serpent on the pole brings healing and forgiveness, or forgiveness and healing, they go together, not because of the image itself, because it has some kind of mystical power, right? But it's actually because of the word of God. So here, um, helpfully, we we go with Augustine, who articulated for us, you know, that... Uh, a sacrament, like baptism, Lord's Supper, um, 
that they are a visible sign attached to a word of promise from God. Right? So that's the same thing here. It's a visible sign to look at, but it has a promise attached to it, and it's the promise that does it. So think about in the explanation to the Lord's Supper, how often Luther says, um, how can water do, or, or in baptism, how can water do such great things, or in the supper, um, where he keeps saying, uh, the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? Uh, that's what does it, or in baptism. It's, it's the word, right, that says, I baptize you. Um, by the way, um, serpent, there is, a, um, there is an Egyptian god um, that, was, that was in the form of a serpent. Um, Hathor is that serpent's name. Um, and the Midianites actually discovered the temple, and uh, there was a five-inch-long copper image of a snake there. Um, so uh, serpents, uh, we, we see common mythology as well. Um, the same thing with the golden calf. There was a there's a there's a calf god in from Egypt as well. Uh, makes you wonder if they don't also bring out some of these false gods with them. I think we could suggest they do. We talked about that in Bible class last Sunday. Um, God already put it to the ground in the beginning, right? Oh, the serpent. Yeah, right. Well, um, you might talk about uh, winged serpents as well. <laughs> so, uh, what do you call a winged serpent? Um, actually, a dragon. Um, fiery could mean wing. It can't. It could be translated as winged as well. So there you have a dragon, which is even a different idea. All right. Um, now, one thing to note here is that our interpretation of this text um, is, I think, or and ought to be dependent upon the New Testament. So when the uh, apostles or an evangelist, when they interpret or, or quote Jesus interpreting this text or any text, um, that becomes definitive. All right. So um, Jesus actually tells us why these things happened. Yes, of course, because they rebelled against him and against his word and against the bread that he gave him, the manna, right? And then he provided them relief. But he says that this scripture uh, testifies of him. Yeah, he does. In John chapter 3, all right? Now, you all know the famous section, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know what comes right before that, right? I got to pull it up so I don't have to do it from memory, right? Uh, just two verses before that. Listen to what he has to say. Again, this is to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, right, that, li that he lifted them up, that he gave his only begotten Son unto crucifixion. That's what lifted up means in John's Gospel. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. All right? Yeah, but that first part, um, Make sure, go back a few verses. Context is important here, right? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, right? And the people looked on it and they lived and they were healed. So God, or so the Son of Man has been lifted up on the cross. And again, that's why sometimes the serpent is on, on a cross, has a crossbar, right? To connect you to, the, to Jesus' own interpretation that whoever believes in him, Jesus, on the pole, uh, should not perish but have eternal life. Now, so like we said, um, the serpent was made, or why a serp bronze serpent on a pole? Because, uh, not to mimic some kind of uh, Egyptian god, although that might be possible too, but actually because the thing that, to represent the thing that was bringing them death, right? Ah, so Jesus on the cross actually, right, is the image of our death. And so we can see in, in Christ crucified um, the consequences of our sin, but we also see by looking on 
his taking away of sin, like the bronze serpent on the pole, we can look on Christ on the cross, and we can see um, God's own mercy in forgiving us and delivering us from sin, death, and devil forever. Right. Um, so there is this transpo- transposition that you're supposed to have in mind. I think when you look at the look at the cross, is you see um, you see sin, death, and devil, but but you see Jesus, right? But you see him bearing them. All right. Um, also, uh, Paul interprets this text as well. So we had both Jesus in John chapter 3, uh, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, right, he gives a, a number of um, Old Testament examples. All right, most of them are in the wilderness wandering, um, right, like the rock, the rock is Christ, that water came from. Uh, let's see what else. Um, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's referring to the golden calf incident. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. Um, And that's referring to, um, later on, Numbers 25. And that's at uh, when Israel plays the harlot with uh, the people of Moab, right? With With those who have been joined to Baal of Peor, right? The false god. And they actually worship with them. Um, So... There you are. And in one day, 23,000 fell. True story. Again, you can read that in Numbers 25. Nor let us tempt Christ or test him, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. So there it is. So notice here again, by, by rejecting the, the, the bread, calling it worthless, by doubting the delivery um, of God through the wilderness wandering into the promised land, Right, doubting that he would provide for their physical need to to they they're actually doubting Jesus, huh? How is that? Where is Jesus in this story? Who's the one leading them through the wilderness by way of pillar of fire and cloud to the promised land? Who's the one that will conquer the uh, all the enemies that and uh, all the idolatrous enemies that that are in the promised land? It's Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Pretty incredible, right? All right, yeah. So. Uh, Really, a rich text, isn't it? And a lot to go on there, a lot to go with there. But I mean, the, I think the key for tomorrow, in particular, though, is the intercessory prayer of Moses. Right? That's what we're supposed to take from here. Christ is our one intercessor, so we pray to the Father by way of the Son, Jesus. Right? For any, for any, and all needs, according to His promises, especially. Right? Uh, trusting that He hears our prayers, offers them up to the Father, because He He's at uh, the Father's right hand. Right? always making intercession, along with the Spirit, who is also our intercessor, too. Uh, but it's his Spirit, so of course. Hmm? Um, so pray, trusting that God will hear your prayers and deliver you as he did his people here. All right. Yeah, Vicky says, uh, your explanations are so helpful. Let me understand the word contextually more deeply. Well, um, I don't know how else to do it, <laughs> but contextually and to dig deep. Um, I mentioned this to the children uh, the last couple of days in our morning prayer. Um, same thing we do here, but I do it with them. Uh, in person, which is always better, by the way. Anyway, they, um, you know, it's John 17. It's not an, necessarily an easy text. It's, it's Jesus's prayer, and it's, it's it seems to have very much circular kind of logic to it. Um, but going through it verse by verse, they're like, yeah, this makes sense. And, and they make the connections. They, you just have to slow down, be patient, listen, say, how is this word used elsewhere? Where else has Jesus talked like this, right? Uh, and just make those connections. All right. And then I love seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, um, I've come to the realization that uh, the Old Testament makes no sense if it's not Jesus 
uh, if it is not testifying of him, as he uh, told the apostles numerous times, all scripture testifies of me in his resurrection. All right, I think that's good on the numbers text. Um, now we're going to look at James, the text from James here. All right, so let me get all my resources lined up that I wanted to talk about. Uh, not that one. Close that out. There we go. First, let's read it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> All right. Uh, James is not one of the favorite books of Lutherans because, um, as has often been preached many times, well, uh, James and Paul are at odds with each other and they don't agree with each other. And one says you're saved without works and the other saved, says you're saved by works. Well, which is it? And then we're just going to argue with each other. It's really kind of absurd. Um, although James is a disputed book as far as its canonicity, all right? Um, even, even you know, Athanasius in his, is it Athanasius or is it Chrysostom? No, it's Chrysostom in his, uh, he wrote a letter, an Easter letter where he outlined the books of um, the scriptures, as we call the Old Testament, and then the evangelists and apostles, in which letters should be included. This is in the third century. Um, and he disputes whether James should be there. All right. And I think it's because of that relationship. Now, I would suggest that James is quoting um, Jesus, in particular from Matthew. Right? He does seem to have Matthew in view, and he's trying to do an um, exegetical or um, interpretive um, dance with the, with the text as Jesus preaches in Matthew, which has the like, famous Sermon on the Mount, right? which also bothers Lutherans, <laughs> because it seems that Jesus is preaching moralism. Right, that that's he's not, but uh, on surface reading, maybe that's a conclusion you could come to. All right. Um, so the question is, do works not matter? So that's kind of the flip side. On the one side, we say um, that that God's word um, teaches that we are saved by faith through grace alone and not by works. Quoting Paul, um, say Romans. All right. So on the one hand, that's true. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith in Christ who died to save us, you know, serpent on the pole stuff. Okay, that's what you learn as Lutherans. On the other hand, Jesus himself teaches that uh, the faithful bear fruit by the Spirit, right? A good tree bears good fruit, as he says. <clears throat> and that's what James is running with, right? That's also true. Now, again, the fruits of faith are those worked by the Holy Spirit through the Word. The Word that has already justified through faith in Christ is then the word that sanctifies, that, that actually amends one's life and makes one holy. But in both cases, what you need to remember, and this is the key, is that the, the ultimate agent or actor, as far as both your justification and your sanctification, making you holy, setting you right before God, in both cases, the actor is the Holy Spirit working through the word. So that you could say, it is not I who do these things, but it is Christ who is in me who does these. Jesus himself, when he refers to the works of the saints, um, he gives that parable, right? Or it's really not a parable. It's just kind of a predictive you know, description of what will happen on the last day. When he says, he describes those um, who are faithful, 
saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and in prison, naked? You know, the things that uh, James lists in verse 27, when did we see you and take care of you? And he said, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. A key there to note is that they don't even recognize their good works, right? Not until he points them out to them in the resurrection. Um, there is this, I think, well, reality, we'll just call it a reality, that when one looks at one's works, then they take you take credit for them. Um, so rather, um, we've talked about this many times, it's, it's best to always deflect um, thanks um, to God, right? So people say, thank you, you say, yes, thanks be to God, right? And it, it, it's not just being dismissive, but it's, it's setting the heart towards faith, that this was a, a work that was accomplished in faith. Whether it's, in my case, preaching and teaching or explaining things, I, Jesus gives me the, the gift that I have. I don't, it's not something that I have, um, I, I, that I had naturally, right? Um, as a matter of fact, the works that, any of the works that you could call good that I've done um, are actually done despite me. I'd rather be, you know, at home, um, doing something leisurely that has nothing to do with this, you know, or at least my flesh is. Um, but on the other hand, being a faithful Christian, you know, and, and being called to be pastor, uh, I also at the same time desire to be faithful to you and, and to deliver God's word to you. Both are true at the same time. Mm. And so James is dealing with the, the other hand, right? The, those that hear God's word, but actually um, it goes in one ear and maybe comes out the other, that it doesn't take root in the heart. It doesn't uh, manifest itself in faith, right? Um, and so there the flesh is getting in the way. So what would one do is pray to the Lord in faith, please um, work in me a new and clean heart, right? Uh, work, work the works that you would have me do according to my vocation that are good, right? And Chris says, none of these are good works. They're only good through Jesus, right? Um, the only work that could be called good because God, God alone is good are those that are forgiven in God's name, right? Or in Jesus' name. That's correct. Absolutely right. All right. So don't be just doers of the um, word, or be doers and not hearers only. Uh, what does it mean to do the word? What are the good works that he would have us do? We had at the end there, visit orphans and widows in their trouble, right? Love them. Uh, keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is, be faithful to the word. Um, but you'll notice here, it has to do with the preaching of the word. It has to do with the receiving of the word, right? To be a doer of the word is to actually show up and hear the word, right? Um, and to confess one's sins and be forgiven, to be baptized in Jesus' name. Hmm? To, um, to be a doer of the word is to receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, as he said, this do in remembrance of me, right? So to be a hearer is, is to actually just say, I hear what you're saying and it doesn't matter to me, right? Um, so then... Um, even though the word declares one, say, forgiven, then they walk away from forgiveness, not even believing that they've been forgiven, right? And he, Paul does a simile here of a mirror. Of course, the mirrors in the ancient world aren't like our mirrors today, um, you know, with the silver and, and highly reflective. They, a mirror would have been more uh, like highly polished, well, bronze or copper, right? Um, so very dim, not, not the uh, silverback glass like we have where they do the vapor depositing, I think is how they do that. I don't know. Somebody will know, All right? But even so, you see one uh, see one's reflection even dimly um, in, say, a copper or bronze mirror, uh, and then you walk away and you forget what you just saw. All right? That's to um, say, hear God's word, hear the word of forgiveness, be fed with His body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, to have the promise of resurrection and life everlasting given, and then to walk away and live as if that didn't even matter. 
fail to forgive the neighbor, to care for uh, one another as Christ has cared for you. So he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's Jesus, by the way, and continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. That is, they live in faith in Jesus and will be blessed in what he does. All right, now, by the way, Paul actually, <laughs> he doesn't deny this. Um, you, people are often selective in their quotation of Paul. And so, um, you know, an example here, let me, I think it's Romans 2. You know, they'll quote later in Romans, but they miss what he says in Romans 2. Uh, let's see, where should I jump in? For as many as, as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged for the law, or by the law, parentheses, listen, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. What? That sounds like James. <laughs> yeah, it is. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. All right. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Christ, according to the gospel. Right. So the law has always demanded, the law meaning God's word, right? it doesn't mean narrowly Ten Commandments, it means God's word, has always demanded um, that you not just hear, but that you do what it says. Think of um, Mary uh, at the wedding of Cana, right? The, the word incarnate says to, says to her woman, what does this have to do with me when she says they run out of wine? But then she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. You see how that works? He's going to speak to you his word. She understood what, what he meant, even though we don't necessarily. But she understood um, that he was, she, uh, well, that he was going to answer her petition, right? That the, the wedding be cared for and that his glory be revealed there at Cana. And so she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Don't be hearers of the word only, but doers, right? So there it is. Right? So you see uh, actually in Jesus' own life an example of this, okay? Um, you'll note here too, in verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, that is um, faithful to the word, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So amongst laity, this would be gossip, right? Amongst, amongst preachers, I would say it's specifically preaching falsely, right? Not speaking according to God's word, but in deceit, right? And then that actually makes the preaching um, useless. Uh, by the way, gossip is also useless. That's why I don't understand why people do it. There's no power gained in it. Um, there's only deceit. Right? Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. Right? So what does um, faith, no, excuse me, love toward the neighbor look like? To visit orphans and widows. These are those without means to provide for themselves in their trouble. Um, you see that in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where they uh, assign, oh, I said chapter 2 or chapter 3? Chapter 3 where they assign the deacons, as we heard on Wednesday night, um, to go and take a collection. They take collection every time they gather each day, and then they take from that collection of food and uh, perhaps uh, uh, money as well, or any kinds of wealth. They take that and distribute it uh, equitably to the to the widows uh, and those in need. Right? Uh, Chris says, didn't the Lord say his word is imprinted in our hearts? Certainly, by the, by the work of the Spirit. Absolutely. Um, but the reality is, and now we're bumping up against the doctrine of election, which is not meant to terrify, meant to comfort, but, um, you know, it is, there is a struggle as to why some would hear God's word and not receive it um, in their heart. Right? Of course, now, uh, quoting what we heard from Paul in Romans 2, 
the law is written on everyone's heart. Uh, <laughs> so um, we always know the accusation of God's law and our unbelief. Uh, let's see. I mean, even Jesus in John uh, 13, what does he say there? John 13. He says the same sort of thing there. Yeah. Um, this is when he washes their feet, right? Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who has sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, right? It's to serve one another, not to consider oneself a master over the others, all right? And of course, um, James is also reflecting on the language of uh, the psalmody, the psalmody, right? So think of Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle uh, while the wicked are before me, for example. Um, Psalm 68, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Or uh, um, this is from service of prayer and preaching we use this, but is it? Yeah, prayer and preaching. Um, Psalm 141. Oh no, that's uh, evening prayer. Psalm 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Right? So his word actually has its effect on you uh, for your good and for the good of those around you. That's, that's always the goal of preaching, is that you would hear his word right, and then keep it with generous hearts, and that it would, have, um, its, it would have its way with you. Right? But that's not under your control any more than it's under mine as the preacher. Right? We pray that the Holy Spirit work uh, when and where he will according to his good and gracious pleasure. Psalm 34, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. All right. So those are just some examples. Um, and of course, uh, Psalm 119 would be the classic example about, about the law all, uh, being written on our hearts. Or also um, Psalms 1 and 2. Right? Or you could read the Proverbs, Proverbs 3. All right. um, this idea of the mirror, where was that? Yeah. Anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Right, so the word is a mirror to you, and of course you've heard this used as the, um, yes, the second use of the law. Uh, of course, we borrowed that from our reformed friends. Um, I don't think we articulated it until the formula, if I remember right, uh, the three uses as they're sometimes called. But they're definitely been in our synodical catechisms for the last few generations of catechism. First use meaning the uh, civil use, right? That it shows us or it disciplines us right? Civilly, physically. Up to the second use is the accusing use, the mirror. And that's, it's just pulling it right from James here. And then the third use being the pedagogical use, the instructive use, which is um, the spirit working by way of the new man to restrain the old man, right? Um, in faith. Luther uses that mirror language. And I think referring to James um, in his large catechism, excuse me, on the fifth commandment, right? Which is you shall not murder. Um, so the fourth commandment had to do with both spiritual and temporal government, divine and parental authority and obedience. And now we go forth from our house among our neighbors to learn how we should live with one another, everyone himself toward his neighbor. Right? Again, love for neighbor, fifth commandment and following. Therefore, God and government are not included in this commandment, nor is the power to kill taken away, which God and government have. To punish evildoers, God has delegated his authority to the government, not parents. In earlier times, as we read in Moses, parents were required to bring their own children to judgment and even to sentence them to death. There, that's Deuteronomy 21. Therefore, what is forbidden in this commandment is forbidden to the individual in his relationship with anyone else, but not to the government. All right. 
So we hear a little bit of what will be called just war theory uh, from, actually it was around at Luther's time, so we would know that, although it wasn't called a theory at that point. All right. Um, so to the mirror use. The commandment has this goal, fifth commandment, that no one would offend his neighbor because of any evil deed, even though he has fully deserved it. For where murder is forbidden, all cause for which murder may spring is also forbidden. We're talking about hate, anger, the things of um, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Let's see. Chris says, wasn't it Paul who was saying, I want to do good, but the more I do, I don't want to do the good, only through the yes. Exactly. That is uh, Romans 7, 19, which Vicky posts uh, on YouTube. All right. So Romans 7, you're not seeing, if you're on Facebook, you're not seeing the YouTube comments. Uh, Vicky says, Romans 7.19 is how I feel usually. So go look that up. All right. Anyway, um, not only is murder forbidden, but also any, uh, all the causes for murder. Hmm? For many people, although they do not kill, curse and utter a wish that would stop a person from running far if it were to strike him on the neck. Now this urge dwells in everyone by nature. Right? You don't have to like it, but it's true. According to Jesus, everyone is a murderer in his heart. It is common practice that no one is willing to suffer at the hands of another person. Therefore, God wants to remove the root and source by which the heart is embittered against our neighbor. Tear it out, root and branch, right? He wants to make us, uh, make us used to keeping this commandment ever in view, always to contemplate ourselves in it as in a mirror. There we go. To regard the will of God and to turn over to him the wrong that we suffer with hearty confidence and by calling on his name. So again, intercession on our behalf. Lord, keep me, deliver me from temptation, right? Keep me from evil, right? And if and if it is the will of the Lord that um, an enemy, an earthly enemy, take your life, well, as Luther reminds us in A Mighty Fortress, take, take they, goods, fame, child, and wife, though these all be gone, the victory has been won, the kingdom ours remaineth, right? Now, it's easy to say that um, because the first instinct of everyone, I think, is to defend one's life. But Luther says, look at yourself in the mirror, right? Contemplate yourself regarding, and then especially in regards to God's word. And then whatever wrong you suffer, recognize that it's um, it's to be given over in prayer. In this way, we shall let our enemies rage and be angry doing what they can. We learn to calm our wrath and to have patient, gentle heart, especially toward those who give us cause to be angry, that is our enemies, right? So again, to give over to God with patient and gentle heart those who cause us to be angry. That's, again, another kind of prayer, not intercessory prayer, um, but actually uh, it could even be imprecatory prayer where we pray against our enemies, but we do that to God and we say, God, now you take care of this problem. All right? So another form of prayer. Uh, so you can see the connection maybe from James here, right? To be a, a doer of the word is to pray um, for that which God has promised. Hmm? Um, therefore, the entire sum of what it means not to murder is to be impressed most clearly upon the simple-minded. In the first place, we must harm no one, either with our hand or deed. We must not use our tongue to instigate or counsel harm. See, Luther, is, as much as he had issues with James early in his career, um, what James is saying is be, being a doer and not just a hearer. Well, this is how Luther is teaching the fifth commandment. Don't just hear, you shall not murder, but consider all of its implications according to Jesus, right? And that... Uh, we should be attentive not only um, to not taking one's life, but actually to protect our neighbor and his body and, and life. Um, we must not use our tongue to instigate or counsel harm. We must neither use nor agree to use any means or methods by which another person may be injured. Right. Um, by the way, I think the fifth commandment actually teaches the non-aggression principle. Right. That we don't get involved in foreign wars. 
we don't we are not the aggressor um, that we only fight defensive wars um, it may sound like pacifism but it's like if we can um if we can find a peaceful solution and negotiate a settlement i mean borders change all the time um kingdoms come and fall this idea that everything has to be preserved forever um, is just hubris all right we should try to find a um, a reasonable solution um, that does not require warfare death all right anyway uh finally the heart must not be ill disposed toward anyone or wish another person ill in anger or hatred then body and soul may be innocent toward everyone but especially toward those who wish you evil or inflict such things upon you for to do evil to someone who wishes you good and does you good is not human but devilish second a person who does e- does evil to his neighbor is not only the one guilty under this commandment it also applies to anyone who can do his neighbor good prevent or resist evil defend and save his neighbor so that no bodily harm or hurt happen to him and yet does not do this so to fail to defend your neighbor is also then a failure uh, according to the fifth commandment mm-hmm. all right so again uh, just because we're not aggressive doesn't mean that we don't have a standing army and that we're not defensive okay um but do we need to go around the whole world and be defensive for everyone that is i think a reasonable question right who is your neighbor right uh, and uh, in particular our nation thinks that everyone is their neighbor um, which is a I think a misleading, uh, well, both practically and maybe theologically too. All right. All right. So then again, referring to James, listen to this. If therefore you send away um, someone who is naked when you could clothe him, you have caused him to freeze to death. If you see someone suffer hunger and you do not give him food, you've caused him to starve. So also if you see anyone innocently sentenced to death or in similar distress and do not save him, although you know ways and means to do so, you have killed him. Right. And today that's the, the court of popular opinion. Right? So if you see someone unjustly, I uh, actually was speaking about this yesterday, the, uh, um, the man in New York who restrained the guy who was threatening murder on the subway, who was also um, a threat to, in other ways too, to the people on the subway. Right? And now he's being indicted unjustly, I would suggest, from what I saw, um, uh, on manslaughter charges. Mostly, probably because of particular color of skin. Right? To fail to speak to that in the public opinion is whenever you have opportunity um, is to leave him defenseless, right? Now we say, well, the courts are just corrupt and we can't do anything about it. Mm, no, <laughs> uh, that, that's a failure. Of course, is it your business to get involved in the proceedings of the courts of New York? Mm, probably not either, All right? But especially if it's someone local, somebody you know. It will not work for you to make the excuse that you did not provide any help, counsel, or, or aid to harm him, for you have withheld your love from him and deprived him of the benefit by which his life would have been saved. So there's a lot more that could be read there. But um, Luther, uh, on the fifth commandment, has James 1 in view. And again, um, to not just be hearers, I know the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, but doers. Protect your neighbor and his body and, and life. Right? Do not fail to defend him. That's to be a doer. All right. So as Chris said, praying. Right? And by the way, prayer um, is a great way to defend your neighbor. I mean, even if it's, uh, especially if it's someone that you don't have um, immediate means to help, um, then pray in intercession on be, on their behalf. Right? Um, I wish I could remember the the name of the young man in uh, New York that was uh, indicted for manslaughter. Hmm. Of course, there's probably even more stories locally that we just don't even know about. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Um, our hymn five twenty six, and uh, as I like to do, share a little bit of a meditation on the, or a little bit of background, I should say, on the hymn and. 
1824, George Washington Dewan, at the time a priest on the staff of Trinity Church in New York, published his, quote, Songs by the Way, a collection of devotional hymn text dedicated to the Bishop of New York. The dedication page reflects the high esteem in which the young clergyman, 25 years old at the time, held his ecclesiastical superior. Quote, to the right reverend John Henry Hobart, uh, Doctor of Divinity, Bishop of New York, now traveling in Europe, this little volume, not as meriting his regard, but as an irresistible expression of affectionate remembrance in his absence, and of fervent prayers for his return in health and happiness, is most respectfully dedicated by his obedient servant and son in the church, the author. The hymn collection included works that Don had penned in previous years that until then had gone unpublished. At the end of his preface, Don used a Latin proverb to underscore his reason for hymn writing. The author has now only to express his hope that his readers may derive from its perusal some share of that solace uh, which its occasional composition has afforded him, and that they may feel as he felt, and especially when his, quote, song has been of mercy and judgment, cantatis minus uh, via laudet. The rugged way seems smoother while we sing. Here's the, the proverb. The rugged way seems smoother while we sing. Don's Thou Art the Way to Thee Alone was included in hymnals in both America and Britain. Each of Missouri Synod's English language hymnals has included it, with minor textual variations. In LSB, the infrequently used word rending, which Don chose to describe the tomb of Jesus in stanza three, has been replaced by empty, a word that underscores the finality of the resurrection. I don't know, rend the tomb. I like rending, but oh well. The final stanza, stanza devotionally restates the theme of this classic American hymn as a prayer, right? So the last stanza is like a prayer. So let's sing it. Let us pray. 
O God, you make the minds of your faithful to be of one will. Grant that we may love what you have commanded and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joys are found. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of all those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray this day in Thanksgiving with uh, Crystal and Annika, both celebrating their birthday, with Jennifer, Dale, and Tim celebrating their baptism, with the households of our church, especially this week, with Isaac, Julie, Angie, Dale and Anne, Dan, Ray, and Susie. Continue to give thanks to God for the birth, uh, new birth, I should say, of holy baptism given to Amalia, Renee. Pray for our catechumens. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Dale and Pam, Joe, Kelsey, Marion, Walt, Christopher, Brad, Gus and Eileen, Ron, Doug, Lenore, Sandy, Hosea, Pat, Wade, and Darlene, our homebound Marcella, Dan, Paul, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Lutherans for Life. We intercede on behalf of all believers for the preservation and increase of faith, and also for pastors and hearers of, of the word, that they be not just hearers, but also doers. We pray for um, those grieving, especially the family and friends of Carl. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you, for into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's our congregation of prayer for today, Saturday, May 13th, 2023. It's good to have you with us here. Um, and I hope you can gather again with us tomorrow morning. We have adult catechesis at uh, 8.15. We'll be short one of our ladies. Uh, actually should have had her in our prayers. Um, Allie Trinkle, our secretary, also a catechumen, is, um, uh, had to fly out to... Massachusetts uh, for the death uh, because of the death of her grandmother. All right, so keep uh, Allie in our prayers as she grieves her grandmother's death. I'll put it, I don't remember her name, so we'll just leave her off here. Grandmother's name, I should say. And um, so come for, for class if you like. We're going to be looking at the Creed. Also, um, we'll have divine service. And again, it's the Sunday of Christian prayer. And then after divine service, we'll have a Bible study. And we'll be looking at Ezekiel 21. And the sword of Yahweh. <laughs> so we're back to the intense uh, Ezekiel. Um, we're going to try to do a uh, maybe move a little bit more briskly than we had been moving. Try to do a chapter a week. We'll see how it goes. All right. So God be with you all. Keep you safe. And we'll see you again tomorrow. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting 
stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.